You are listening to the Savage Fincast, episode 91, Better Dead Than Red. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast. The show, Stuck on Unemployment. My name is Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. I'm Raven Perez. And we are back in a very unique episode. Uh, We have not had a regular, regular review episode since about January, and uh, since then, the world has kind of ground to a halt in some extreme ways. So we thought it was about time to get out there and get another episode made so we got no more no new savage dragon issues because as soon as the world locked down the next issue was about to come out and now it's not coming out so we're going to be talking this episode about the one thing we haven't talked about the eric larson written and drawn issue of captain america the end which Which is about a virus ending the world yeah (laughs) ironically right prophetic that larson a scratch a sniff (laughs) <laughs> so who farted before we get into looking at that issue we should probably get a little bit of news in i mean the world's ground to a halt but we have been away a while so there's a couple of things on the docket um so what are we doing have first you guys seen, uh, have you guys seen pony pool no what's that we're we're living it just, what? just, we're just broadcasting at the end of the world oh. as a viral infection <laughs> mysteriously takes down the population. Well, I think our, our first bit of news kind of is really related to the whole COVID outbreak and how it's going to affect comics, which I think all of our listeners kind of understand at this point. Specifically, this comic, right, Jim? Take it away. What, what do you mean, this comic? Savage Dragon. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> as of last week, Diamond has ceased delivering comics to comic shops uh, across the country. Uh, printers printers are no longer operating. Diamond is no longer distributing. Uh, and comic shops are being told to shut down as non-essential businesses across the country. Um, so, that basically, all that really means is that publishers have no place to publish their comics because the whole system has broken down. Yep. So, a lot of people have wondered, are comics going to continue coming out digitally? Uh, Because you don't need a shop to sell digital comics, but it's become clear that all the major publishers, all the corporate publishers, have decided that they're going to back comic shops and just cease publishing comics for the time being until things start reopening in maybe a couple of months. Right. Um, So, like I said at the start of the episode... Uh, Savage Dragon number 248 in particular was supposed to come out April 1st, which was the first day that there would be no more comics. 
So that means that book that book is going to be sitting in a warehouse for months for months. Cruelly enough, we know that the comps are out there. Oh yeah, there are copies out there. We we've seen Gavin's comps. Eric confirmed he has his comps. Usually when that's the canary in the coal mine, when the comps are out, next week the stores follow. No such luck. <laughs> so yeah, yeah we, we just missed it. We just missed the cutoff on that. So we're gonna be next couple episodes. We're gonna do. We, of course, we're gonna be doing more retro reviews. We're gonna be uh, doing this issue of Captain America. Uh, next time we'll probably do more Ninja Turtles. We'll find stuff to talk about. I mean, there's still lots of Savage Dragon to talk about for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. There were a couple of articles. I think Larson was one of the first guys to come out and say he wasn't gonna release any books. Not even digital um, until, uh, you know, print. Everyone was back on print. And this is before any of the, the comic companies took a stand. I know at least Image has said that they're not releasing anything digital or print. I guess you're saying the other guys have said as well. That's uh, pretty DC clear. Confirmed it. Yeah. Yeah. DC confirmed it. DC confirmed they're not D- going to. DC do will continue to put out uh, digital copies of trade collections which are going still going out to bookstores through other distribution methods so as those come out those will get digital releases but no single issues oh and digital only stuff dc does put out some digital only comics so those will continue to come out gotcha but i thought i thought it was funny though because eric was like he put he was kind of like one of the first to kind of make put a stand on things and you know there were different people have picked up his tweets or his facebook posts and we had Comic Book Resources came out with an article, and it just said Savage Dragon creator Eric Larson vows not to release digital before print. But then you have Newsarama, and like their main title was Savage Dragon 251 canceled by Image Comics, and it was like, what? It was the most clickbaity yeah, shit in it was, history. And that was just a solicitation uh, cancellation. That was 251, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's such crap. It'll just be resolicited in the future. So Yeah. Uh, what are you guys' personal opinion on all of this? Do you think shutting down the entire quote-unquote industry is the way to go here? To protect comic shops over creators and publishers? You want to go first, Craig? Because mine's not short and easy. Well, I would say this. I would say... I, I don't know. I feel like they should all stick together. Because I feel like digital, yes, it's great. But there's also a good portion of sales that are print. And if the comic shops fail or are hurt pretty bad by this, then that's going to hurt the creators of the comics in some way. Now, if they all stick together and they all deal with the pain, you know, then maybe they all survive out of this. If they don't, then you might see a lot of shops fail. Um, But... I, I don't know. I don't own a shop. I'm not sure. I know that they were talking about some of that Comics Hub uh, app being able to like set up a system outside of Diamond where you that can buy your comics. Apart yeah. Since, yeah. Since they started talking about it. It was a good idea, the comic, but I... The comic shop specifically went against it. They don't... Yeah. They, they felt like it was going to be like if this thing lasts months, then it was going to be like a, a headache to try to like get you know hundreds of books out to they're they're to actually more afraid that people will become acclimatized to digital and won't come back to shops okay gotcha for the listeners um who may not have seen the story which um, maybe you did maybe you didn't however just to summarize real short comics hub 
was intending to do digital sales. But well, Comics Hub is an app, right? Let's just back up and right. discuss what Comics Hub is. Correct. It was going to be like an app. It's also an online storefront. So if you're into comicsology or whatever, there you go. But the idea was, the twist was this. It wasn't just that you were going to be buying um, uh, digital issues. It was that you were going to be buying a print advance copy and you would get your digital in real time without having to wait with the promise that when the dust settled, your You'd comic your shop copy. would fulfill your physical copy. Is that what so, Comics Hub is all about now? Because it looks like it might be. Well, my comic shop uses Comics Hub, and they use it for their inventory system and everything. And I have an app on my phone where I can track the stuff on my pull list. I can request pulls through the app. Um, and I actually could pay for my comics through the app. And I actually did pay for my comics up until my comics closed. Uh, I started to, even though I wasn't getting them, just to help my comic shop out. Sure. So I was like prepaying for them. Um, so they like, kind of go ahead. It's like a middleman sort of thing. It's I'm reading. I, I'm reading I the guess so. Yeah. Right now. They yeah, use they really it. Like don't need to exist, but. Well, I think it's really good for the shop because it helps them with their ordering and it helps them keep track of – I think it's just a better kind of um, kind of an inventory tool for, for the, the shops. Right. And it, and it right. helps it helps the – yeah, it's like an in-between. You're right. But it, it helps with providing an app for shops that don't want to invest in making their own app. Yeah. Uh, it looks and, like publishers and, put their, like their stuff on it and then stores can use the Comic Hub – app to show what their inventory is and then people can buy the comics through the app yep from their local shop i don't really use the app that much i usually do everything through my comic shop but they have the whole thing on their system so Mm -hmm. when they order through diamond and all their inventory goes through that and they're able to track everything so and i'm also able to see what my last purchases were and uh you know what's coming up and i don't know it's pretty cool and if i want to order something i can order it through the app to come into my comic shop. So it's pretty neat. It, it makes things cool. It make, puts everything on my phone. Um, but yeah, they had that good. I thought it was a, a, a pretty good idea, but then when you start thinking of the logis- logistics of it all, and if this thing kind of drags on for months, you know, you'd have, you know, maybe 300 comics or depending, you know, certain people buy a ton of comics. And if, right. you know, at the end of all this, you know, the first day back, everyone's looking for their comics these shops have to pull together hundreds and hundreds of print comics to fulfill orders. I could right. see that being a nightmare. Uh, and then the other thing I think is totally valid. What, what Jim is saying is, I mean, you know, I'm sure the shop owners would be afraid that, all right, you know, someone's been on digital for three months now. Maybe they were, didn't want to make the jump before because they liked their print comics, but then they started getting used to it for three months and they actually start liking digital better than print. And nah, now that, they don't need the comic shop that, anymore. That is an awful argument, but why is that? I don't know. I, I what, my, why, my, why is that awful my, though? Cause it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense well, based on reality. Why not? I mean, there's plenty of people that went to MP3s, you know, maybe were buying CDs, didn't make that big jump in investment kind of, you know, were a collector mentality. And then they're like, you know what? Let me jump more into the digital. I can, you know, but no one collects CDs, or at least 
they shouldn't. There were. There's no. Fun- you should see my collection. There is no functional say, difference totally between a CD, a CD with a bunch sure of songs, is. and an MP3. They are the same. I I am the format. biggest vinyl collector. Vinyl's different though. Vinyl. It's not how vinyl. Well, vinyl is an analog source and is arguably a better high fidelity. Uh, sound. Only, but only if you're spending thousands and thousands in equipment. Right, but that means you're. I buy you're vinyl because a, I like an, an audio file and not because otherwise you might as well just buy MP3s. No, because there's a collector aspect to it. There's different pressings. There's different colors of vinyl. There's different rarity of the different colors. So you go there's in different that deep? jackets. Yeah, yeah, I do but, actually. But still, there's a lot of things like someone will press a record, right? But and then and you're, the not, fir- you're, you're not collecting for the music. Then you're collecting for the physical thing. It's part of the package. But the it's yeah, part, it's but totally the, part of the, the package. But the files are the same. They are identical. Yeah, but it's like comics. I mean, people buy variant but comic covers. There's well. I, that's a whole other conversation, variant covers. But there's a difference, fundamentally. People buy first a, pressings. Between a digital comic and a print comic, they fill two completely different roles for mostly two completely different consumers. But I feel like that's music, too, and that's vinyl. Like, there's people that like the package of the 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 liner notes and the pictures and the physical kind of owning something. And that's fine. Again, though, that's not comics. Not really. It is for me. Comics is the content, and I guess it's more than the content for me. Covers because comics don't come with like special features and inlays and booklets. Not really. Not anymore. Maybe not anymore. Maybe back during the collector's craze, and they came in in bags when they were came with cards. Does your uh, Does your Ninja Turtles uh, inside cover have the different uh, cover front covers? No, the variant don't, covers. They don't, they don't share those with the on the digital. Covers. I mean, there's things that that print have that I like holding it. I like flipping through my long boxes. I like having the physical copy. And that's now, fine. I, I, I think like it's I a valid said, accident. I know, a valid argument that are uh, into that. I, but I think a lot are, and but, I think it's a valid argument that but, people that Craig, switch to digital might Craig, let me stop. Finish. Craig. Yes, there is an appeal to that, and I like going through long boxes too. I like finding stuff. I, I'm a treasure seeker, but I'm I'm not looking for variants. I'm looking for stories I've never heard of and artists I know of or have never heard of, and looking for interesting new things. But when I sit down, and I want to read a comic. I don't want to go through all the trouble of opening the bag, pulling the comic out, making sure I don't bend it or crease it, flipping it open, not dropping it in the toilet while I'm taking the shit. Right, but you don't think that people that have been collecting long-time print might decide when they collect digital that they like your way of thinking and might be like, you know what? If you're in to print, you're not going to change in three months. You are actually going to to hate the next three months reading on a a, a system that you're unfamiliar with, uncomfortable with, and generally don't like. Because most – like, okay – so let me, let but me, you got to start somewhere, and so if if it's everyone 20, that's that's got into digital started digital at some point and right, decided right. they were going to make that switch and maybe sell off their old comics, get rid of all the storage, right. and just go to digital. So you don't think that facilitates it? I think if you were going to do that, you would have done it already. It's twenty twenty. We've had digital comics for almost twelve years. I don't know. I mean. I guess well, but my personal feeling about all of this is is that having three months with no comics or at least no 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 um see the thing about the comic book 
collect think about reading comics for me it's the consistency it's the every wednesday there are new comics every wednesday and if you mm-hmm. lose that if you lose that rhythm of going to get your new comics people are going to start thinking i don't really need comics maybe i mean this is fine i get on i watch tv and play video games and so when everything comes back you're going to lose like 30 percent of your readership who just forget to come back but again i feel like that's almost the same argument of well i don't really need to go to the comic shop i can just get this digitally but going to but the experience of going to comiXology every wednesday is just like going to a comic shop every wednesday it's for me it's a pilgrimage it's it's wednesday get on the comiXology what's out this week oh yeah put them all on my wish list what can I afford? Buy them up. Right, oh, so you don't think that someone's going to say, well, there's no need for me to go to the comic store because I can get that same feeling. Well, I don't know but, if everyone's like me. I'm weird. Well, that's my point. So, basically, you guys, though, you're going in two different directions here yeah. with this. And and the main thing is is this, is that, like, at the one, th- at the one hand, you know, one of you is saying, hey, you know, people might get used to reading digital uh, and then, you know, they'll they'll not need the print uh, industry anymore. You know, print comic shops will fail. On the other hand, uh, the other person's saying they might not like comics anymore. And, and then comics are done for, you know, the comic shops are done for and the creative teams. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I guess if we're only looking at those two points, which I still have a viewpoint I want to spew all over this conversation, but... I just want to ask, I don't want to jump away from what you two dudes are talking about here. Which do you think, if you had to frame it in that way, looking at both your points, which do you two think is the most important move there? You know, is it more important to keep the comics flow coming, hoping people will come back to shops, maybe they go digital, but at least they have comics in their life? Or is it more important to preserve the shops by not making anything at the risk that people might just use this as a chance to abandon comics entirely. Go ahead. Take it away. For me, I would say I would almost use Jim's argument. Jim's argument is people aren't going to leave after three months, you know, physical copies. I think people aren't going to leave comics if they're into comics after you know, three or four months of no comics, I think maybe they'll go buy back issues digitally or maybe just do something, eBay or something. I feel like, I don't know. I I just, I, knowing kind of small business owners and stuff, it's just, I feel like they've got to stick together almost like a union. And uh, I would feel bad if, you know, shops had to close or, you know, a quarter of the shops had to close would really hurt the industry. The only thing I could say is maybe, you know, the distribution model will be looked at more and someone else will step up or I I don't know. I mean, maybe this is helpful in a way, but I don't know. I mean, I could see both ways. I understand Jim's argument. I don't agree completely, but um, I think either way it sucks. I don't think there's a perfect answer. It's just all right already comic publishers in particular marvel dc image dark horse all the big ones have already made all of their books returnable if they're not selling or they order too many so you create a system where you keep putting the books out digitally during the off time but you when we when we all go back to our lives the publishers just send all those books to the comic shops but make them all returnable and then the comic shops aren't out for anything 
And all the print buyers, people who buy print are going to keep buying print. Maybe they'll read digital for a few months while they have to, but they're going to go buy their print books when it's over. So if you make all the books returnable, the comic shops don't lose any money for having more comics they can't sell. And you get to have comics through the whole pandemic period, uh, the quarantine period, and everyone gets their print books at the end. Easy. That's my argument. And I think that's what Comic Hub was trying to trying to do. Well, so. Comic Hub was trying to sell a digital code and a print code for the same price, so that people could have both. But I, from what I, you described, it sounded like publish uh, shop owners didn't want to have to figure out who's owed what after the fact. Yeah, that there'd be too much volume at yeah. once or something. I don't know. So, Raven, what's your take? Long story short, just to be as concise as possible. I think that the shops need to need to, you know, as you stated, stick together. I do think that shops are a valuable part of comics distribution. I think that print is still dominates the comic industry. Digital does not. You know, digital is important. It is not unimportant. However, the reality of it is is that we have a niche entertainment medium here where the audience prefers print and it's one of those things where it's like digital yes digital is growing but clearly print is so important that they're willing to just say ah well shit we won't make anything until you know this whole thing blows over that way we can protect print like the shops are distributing print so print's important the comic shops are insanely important um i'll tell you what i think is uh not worth maybe you know trying to preserve and protect though is goddamn diamonds monopoly and a lot of this is coming from this stress this pressure is coming from the fact that diamond caved because the logistics talking about you know logistics too hard like this whole thing started with diamond saying uh you know in this current climate it's too hard to do logistics it's too hard to work around all these different things we just need to stop for a while and then, boom, one company fell, and now the whole a whole entertainment medium is like, oh, and it's kind of like, you know, a lot of the times you see people talking, maybe you do, maybe you don't, about, like, how, quote, unquote, when this all ends, we can go back to normal. And then you see other people saying, when this all ends, we don't need to go back to normal. We need to look at, like, how we got in this, you know, situation to begin with. Comics are no different. And Diamond is really at the root of this. And um, I also think that, you know, Marvel and DC have the bulk of the um, market share. And I had a friend, something that just changed my mind on all of this. I had a friend, I'm not going to name him, but he's a independent comic shop owner. Last time I talked to him, uh, it's been years ago, he was real confident. He said, ah, oh, you know, I said, what would you do if Diamond just stopped one day? This is like... 2007 I'm saying this to him so it's been almost 10 years ago and he goes oh, I'm not worried about it he's like someone else would come up and you know he laughed about it because his store was mostly indie centric right well I guess times 10 years have made quite a difference he a shop owner was talking about how uh, Marvel and DC drive his business and if he doesn't have that influx of new uh, reading material uh, he can't count on indie to support him 
and that he, you know, tries to use indie to position, you know, tries to use Marvel and DC to position indie books or whatever, but he just can't bolster that. Uh, all of this, and, and Gone, Gone was his, I was sort of like, yeah, but don't you just think someone else will just come up? I used his own words, and he replied to me that he was like, no, you know, if, if 30% of the shops go away, he was like, it's going to hurt everyone. He was like, it's going to put everyone in a really tough spot. He said, you know, you'll everybody will see. He was like, if these stores go away, it'll impact everyone. Um, none of this shit was... If, if it wasn't, this is the stress test and everything failed, right? So, what we really need to do, <laughs> talking about Jim, I don't have the perfect answer. I don't. I'm not saying I have the perfect answer, but I do know the problem. Um, we need to have a situation where um, when shop owners return back to business, um, there is a concentrated effort to not have all your eggs in two baskets. You have to make effort to have your readership um, read other shit. Uh, Two companies shouldn't dominate your store. That's not healthy. Uh, One distributor shouldn't be the only thing out there. That's not healthy. Um, There should have been alternatives, uh, fail-safes, different things. And I think it's weird, weirder and shittier still. We We don't even have to go into this conversation, but... It's weirder and shittier still that, um, you know, you got like uh, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, you know, and other artists I've seen, you know, making all kinds of like effort to help and protect and help get money to these shops or whatever. And at the same time, let's not pretend that goddamn Disney and Time Warner couldn't support every single comic shop in North America, their staff, their rent, everything uh, for five months, however long it takes for shit to die down. And uh, they're just not. You know, it's going to fall on grassroots effort, which is fucking ridiculous. When two companies have such a share of this market, it's fucking absurd that they haven't stepped in. It's like, so they made their books returnable. You know, you're going to tell, is the shop owner with the small shop going to tell their landlord, oh, hey, guess what? Uh, You know, it's cool. I don't have rent this month, but don't worry. All the books are returnable. You know, it doesn't do fucking shit. So basically... I think that uh, a lot of stuff should change. I think this is uh, more or less, it just proves everything that I always thought about the direct market. That it's not built to last, it's not built to handle you know, bad stuff. And it shouldn't. we shouldn't be in a situation where it's, oh no, digital might destroy everything, you know. Or, oh no, digital might destroy, things should be in more of a uh, place to where they can coexist. Uh, I think music has kind of reached that equilibrium. I think movies have kind of reached that equilibrium. I think games are kind, video games are kind of struggling. There's a little bit of a battle being fought between digital and physical. You have some weird shit that's not worth going into on a comic podcast. But I'm saying other entertainment mediums have sort of, you know, found that place of balance. And it's time for the goddamn comic industry to, you know, figure it the fuck out. Whatever that means. I'm saying if it means that, hey, you know, you get a digital code free with every print comic you buy. Cool. You know, if it means, hey, when you can't get out to the shop, you can still use your digital code. Just call your shop, pay for the comic. They can give you the fucking code through an app or something like that. Work it the fuck out. It's not like we don't have big companies that have money to deal with this. So, 
that's it. I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. Yeah. Well, that's that's basically how vinyl records work too. Is you buy the record and when you open it up and pull your record out, there's usually a coupon in there for a download code so that you can have the best of both worlds if you want it. And I I buy Blu-rays all the time, but it they all come with digital codes that I also Bingo. use all the time. Bingo. There's no need. It's so dumb. There's no need for these two things to fight because I can tell you, fellas. When you fucking make a comic, you make it, it starts its life as a digital file. I know Marvel yeah. provides codes on some of their books. Yeah. Or they did DC for a while. Quit. Or somebody quit. One of the two companies quit. Like they were doing digital codes and then they quit. They were having a problem. I believe they were getting stolen because you, with a comic book, of course, people just flip through them at the store. So if you get the, if you just take a picture, oh, they take a picture, take a picture of, of the code, it's gone. So right. they weren't, it wasn't really possible to protect them. Uh, so they would just get stolen all the time, the codes. The, well, these I, companies should work with retailers to have a program, like a mailing list. Yeah. Something easy. This uh, Captain America one has a code. Does? Captain America at the end, yeah. Did it, was it, did it come sealed or did it come bagged in any no, way? No, no, no. It's, uh, it's it on a, one of the ads right in the middle of the book. It's not like um, a peel-off thing or is it just visible? Nope. Nope, it's just visible. Hmm. That's interesting. Let me see. Where's my code? Hold on. Unless it's a peel-off thing. I don't know. I didn't even see. notice. It's on the cable ad in there. Like the, oh, yeah, it is a peel-off thing. That might protect it. Make it it's a little it. sticker that you peel off the, the huh. ad to, for the... Free digital content offer. I didn't even notice. I guess that makes yeah. it a little easier to spot if they're stolen. Well, yeah, you'd actually have to peel it off. It's, you can't just grab it and take a picture. Right. That's cool, though. So there is already... I so should have okay, had you guys give me like... your code instead of paying $5 <laughs> for this. No, Jim. You have to support the comic industry. Yeah. You're right. But, <laughs> but, but uh, I will say, uh, you know, again, this, this, this shit needs worked out. Like, it really it needs worked out. I do think that it is... Uh, I mean, I'm seeing all sides of the coin here. You know, it's shitty for retailers. They're in a scary, scary place. Like I said, my friend, he is a friend. He's not just a guy who owns a shop. He's a friend. He's scared shitless, dude. He's scared he's going to fucking lose his business. And at the same time, like, you know, I know Jim's right. There are people who, they're only reading because it was routine. And when they quit reading, the routine might not be easy to get back up. You know what I mean? So... Really, just comics is in a kind of a crummy space, and I think we all need to like work. I, you know, it's funny we're going to mention them in our very next news article, but cartoonist kayfabe with their whole "read more comics" slogan. It's a fucking good slogan, dude. Mm -hmm. People should people should have more diverse tastes. They should read digital. They should read books. They should read you know trades. They should read single issues, strips, web comics. Read it all, dude, because. It's all comics at the end of the day. And as far as the shit behind the scenes, I mean, goddamn, dude. Like, you tell me Dark Horse, you know, Marvel, DC, There's there was just, like, nothing. There was never any kind of, like, thought process as to what would happen. I don't know. Clearly not, I guess. I, I think putting too much of the blame on to be on Diamond this time around is a little erroneous. Just because... Diamond is the only distributor, but the fact of the matter is printers aren't printing, so there's no content to distribute. So even there if there were one, even if there were there two distributors, distributor, though. but if there were two distributors, neither of them would have content to distribute. They'd both they, be shut they could, down. 
they could still get but here's the problem this is what you're not realizing is that they could still get trades and books right see comic sh- comic shops exclusively operate through diamond unless they're a bookstore that also sells comics I guess that's true I guess you couldn't get back catalog stuff that in right. warehouses the problem diamond is isn't distributing at all good point right the problem is is that if you're a comic shop that only uses diamond and doesn't have a book wholesaler that they which probably they don't have the volume to have a book wholesaler right but if you are a comic shop that only has diamond as your only resource you can't get trades yes there's no new graphic novels but there's no new trades there's no new statues there's no new t-shirts there's no new toys there's no new any of that shit and so that's why it's problematic okay i see your point because at least if they had other but options, my other they thing, could other feel, use them. my other feeling is it's still considered unessential, so they still would have been shut down. They could do curbside service. And no, no, I, I, I'm talking about distributors. I'm talking about the distributors. I know, I don't know if Diamond is the only one shut down, but I feel like others are probably shut down as well. I think distributors can still do shit because I'm still working and we're still getting stuff. Oh. well, you're essential. You, your supply chain has to sort of remain. Comics. If you're a lot of places, if you're not retail, you can still work, you know, work from home or other things. I know printers can't, but and distributors probably can't. But I think there's different rules for like retailers and things like you know, Jimmy work at casino, but things like that are kind of more public. I was gonna say, I think I think that there's still people skating stuff around to where, even though it's weird, everything should be closed. But, like, I mean, we're still getting video games. They're still releasing new video games and stuff. Well, that, you know that, I mean? that may be stopping soon. They've been... Right. D- d- after Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out, I don't think we're going to see another major release for a while. Well, I don't think, like, the developers have to stop. I mean, probably most of those guys can work remotely on things. Right. But, uh... but I think this is the last game that's in warehouses, is what I'm saying. And I think oh, once they're you. distributed... I don't think you're going to see another major release until at least, like, the fall. Because they've already delayed the other big releases that are were supposed to come out in the next month. Uh, so. Okay. Just a, just a thought. Um, so, sh- last words? Uh, my big worry is this is going to damage the entire comic industry, and it's going to impact... It's just... My, my feeling is so many comics come out, that's why I like comics is that there's a lot of comics. And if the distribution system blows up and companies just make less comics, we'll all be poorer for it. So my feeling is you got to get that revenue stream. And if you're not putting out new content, there's no revenue stream. And that's just going to, the longer it goes on, the more losses are going to mount and the harder it is. Everyone's going to have to come back. I mean, sure. Disney's a billionaire trillionaire company and Warner brothers is worth millions. But yeah, they, could, they could still drop their comics uh, division and never, never notice. <laughs> I mean, D- right. Disney, Disney has done like video games in house and shuttered the entire d- division multiple times, not because they were unprofitable, because they weren't profitable enough. So right. Dis- well, that's that's the other side of the coin that we didn't even talk about. Is what's so funny is how. People are actually scared that this is going to be an opportunity for, you know, corporate comics to pull up tent pegs. There is a news just... article about DC Comics creating a $250,000 fund to help support comic shops. Uh, 
over the next few months. That's a start. It ain't it ain't the end. Yeah, that's not that's not like nothing though. Like previously, I thought they were not doing you know fucking shit. So, <laughs> but I also I, don't have to. I also feel like I'm starting to see a little bit of uh, rumblings on Twitter that maybe creators are being fur- are not being allowed to continue working on projects during the that's shutdown. Known. Several creators have announced that they've been told to stop working on things, which so. means they're not going to be getting paid because they're all freelancers. Which is. Again, this is fucking short-sighted and stupid. I'm sorry, I'm going to be angry about this shit because it's stupid. It's That's short-sighted and stupid because what they should do is fucking keep paying these creators. It's not like they can't afford it. They should keep paying these fucking creators to get ahead. Like, have a... What in this goddamn world is wrong with having a buffer? <laughs> like, nothing. Nothing at all. Why does the comic industry have to skate two months ahead of the cutoff all the time. Keep your people working. What is hurting? They work at home anyway. There's no harm in having these fucking creators still create. It's what Eric said he was going to do on Savage Dragon. I'm sure said, we'll see a, a boom of indie comics over the next six months. After, yeah. after the next six months. Of... It blows my mind. I think all this is being handled shitty. I think there's a I mean, better way to handle all of it. Uh, Image Comics will be on time for like a good year year next year and then it'll start to drop back off <laughs> oh lord rolling on with the next news all right what else, what's what's the next bit of news all righty well cartoonist kayfabe which uh i'm sure a lot of guys that listen to us probably know who they are but if you don't know who they are it's jim rugg and ed piscor uh they do um I don't know. I guess it's I don't know how many days a week they they post something. I feel like it's multiple times a week. Yeah, they post all the uh, fucking time, dude. It's they nuts. have a pretty uh successful comics podcast um and they hit up a lot of indie stuff, but they also they do a mix actually. They don't do just indie. They do everything and anything. They're just fans oh, yeah. of the art form. They love it. They get in deep. Uh they review issues, they talk to creators. Um, so on March 20th, they did a review of the Savage Dragon mini, which was a great review. Again. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what do you mean again? Everybody reviews the mini series first. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. But I think they, they came into it. They brought a lot of discussion about them and how they bought it in the beginning when it came out. So they talked a lot about those early years and what it meant to them. And they had a real kind of fondness for it, which was fun to listen to and, their interpretations of things and what they saw at their age, you know, I guess they were young teenagers or maybe even younger than that. So it was a pretty fun conversation. They went page by page. Um, it's up on there. Uh, if you look up cartoon K fabe, uh, cartoon, no cartoonist K fabe, right. K fabes, K Y F A B E. Um, they're on YouTube. So they did that, which I thought was cool. And then uh, a couple days later, on March 22nd, they posted an interview with Eric, which was also really cool. And they got into a lot of cool stuff. I guess both of them had sent in submissions for the uh, Have Your Character star in Savage Dragon, the, the Jimbo <laughs> one. Uh, and so they talked about that, and that was really funny. Um, it was better than what you typically hear for Larson interviews. There wasn't a lot of the same old kind of BS. It, it was a little bit of background stuff, which, you know, you've you've heard in other ones. But these guys, you know, they're good at what they do. So they, they asked really good questions that, 
you probably haven't heard before, which makes it a good listen. Um, so yeah. I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. It needs said that they are cartoonist historians. So as Craig mentioned, they're into the entire fucking art form. Euro shit, manga, fucking uh, capes, tights and fights, like really obscure indie shit. And uh, they are really hardcore like history. Like they're into the like the the meat and bones of it. So plus they have big personalities. It's uh, especially Ed. So it's really cool. It's definitely worth a listen. For sure. Uh, yeah, so like Jim Rugg is, he's known for his Street Angel comic. Um, I guess Ed Piscor is probably known for like, um, Hip Hop Family Tree. Hip Hop Family Tree. He did the, um, the X Men books. Grand for Design. Marvel. Grand Design, which are great. Um, so th- th- those did so well that Tom Sholey, Marvel had Tom Sholey follow up with Fantastic Four Grand Design, which was cool. Um, so, uh, Fun stuff. These guys are fun to listen to. Definitely uh, recommend you guys check it out. Cool. So we got anything else on the news end of things? Man, that's it. Uh, that's good. That was a good conversation. Both a very busy time and a very thin time. It's uh, a <laughs> scary it's time. Certainly times. It's a weird time, dude. <laughs> so shall we get into the meat and potatoes? The patriotic meat and potatoes. So, about scary times. <laughs> about yeah. scary times. People who didn't shelter in place <laughs> <Yes>. enough. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't socially distance. So this. When did this come out? This was March, right? Uh, March twenty twenty. March. Was it March? Was no, March. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was, was February. Yeah, let me look. That, that feels up. right. Came out February well, February fifth. February fifth. February fifth. Yep. Okay. I was gonna say. Listed as April twenty twenty on the inside cover, which I know is never when it comes out, but I didn't realize it was that early. So, yeah. just a quick uh, explanation: the um, Marvel comics, the end comics, are typically one shots or short miniseries that chronicle the theoretical or at least one person's interpretation of the last of a particular character or group's uh, uh, history. It's why they're called The End. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the original, the first one was Hulk The End by Peter David, who told the story about the last days of the Hulk. Uh, It's actually one of the few Hulk Peter David books I ever read, and I thought it was pretty good. Roaches tear apart the Hulk. They sure do, but the Hulk won't die because the Hulk is just too goddamn angry. Too angry to die. Too angry to die, that Hulk. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> um, but usually it's they're pretty focused on the title character. Um, and just it it, I haven't read a lot of them. But of the ones I have read, this issue of Captain America follows a very similar, like, tone. Because usually the end isn't very good for our heroes. Yeah. <laughs> apocalyptic Does, scenarios, for sure. Do you guys know, or any idea, how Eric or why Eric was approached for this? It seemed to come kind of out of the blue. I mean, not not really out of the blue. It's weird. He had a good year for Mar- for. With Marvel, I feel like I'm he had the Spider-Man sure one shot. I'm pretty sure it just kind of spun out of the 80th anniversary stuff. Yeah, because he had the Marvel 1000, they did a page in, and then he had the 
Spider-Man. Uh, the Spider-Man. Going one big. Shot. He had kind of his art was kind of featured in the Spider-Man uh, movie, uh, the cartoon movie. What, what's that called? Uh, Into the Spider-Verse. I'll yeah, I'll, so I'll bet you anything is that when they brought him in to do the um, to do the Spider-Man and the Marvel 80th stuff, he basically said, "I want to do something of substance." Because while I'm here, so yeah, this yeah. is probably what was offered to him or what he pitched. Yeah, we'll have to talk to him next time we talk to him. See see how knowing, that came about. Knowing now what we know, <laughs> I would have gladly given up all of that for more Savage Dragon. Really? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm just joking. It's kind of funny. Like he he kind of like. He low-key gave himself that year to work on those side things, which is actually really good and even important. Um, if you only work on one thing in comics, you might as well just quit because people just forget you. Uh, so yeah. it's actually really important that he went and he did his Marvel stuff because that put him back on a lot of people's radar. Uh, that being said, hey, knowing now that we know it's going to be a few months before we get like more Savage Dragon, I'd have been like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, right. But, you know, I think I do enjoy seeing him play with other, you know, toys sure. once in a while. I mean, I love Savage Dragon, and we got, we have a lot of issues with Savage Dragon. So whenever there's a chance for him to take a break and, mm-hmm. you know, produce a comic with another superhero or something, even if it's his own, you know, I'm still hoping to see an Ant book sometime soon, but I don't know <laughs> about yeah. that. But uh, just to see any, you know, I loved when he jumped on the Defenders for a little bit, you know, or, uh, you know, things like that. Even when he's just writing other stuff, it's, it's just always a treat. And uh, I was super stoked to see him do um, this book because it's a character he's never really, he's drawn Captain America in Spider-Man, an amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man, but he never kind of did a Captain America story before. And I think Captain America is right up his alley. Um, so I, I think it's fun. funny, the timing. Um, he, a fan drew a, uh, apologies, Finhead that, you know, drew this. I'm missing your name. I'm sorry, but a fan drew a walking dead parody with dragon as Rick Grimes, you know, the yeah. iconic walking dead number one cover where it's Rick in front of the storefront and it's shattered and you can see zombies in the reflection of the glass. That one, and they had Dragon there's that. And, of course, you know, the conversation naturally was like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great to see, you know, zombies, Dragon versus zombies. And Eric's like, no, nah, you know, I already did that. And it's kind of cool because it's like, he, you know, he had zombies show up in one panel of Savage Dragon or whatever. But it's I guess it's clear that he doesn't really, you know, want to do a Dragon versus zombie story himself. However, what is kind of neat, you talk about, like, it's cool to see him play with other people's toys. It's kind of nice because you kind of get to see a superhero versus zombies more or less. You get to see Eric's take on that in this. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very much a zombie story to me. Oh, it's a total zombie story. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a world has been overrun by a by something story. I mean, mindless. I mean, they, I guess they do. They are cannibals, so I guess they are more like they are zombie-like in that regard. They've got skull heads. They're cannibals, and they all just want to attack you. And it gets they, they're a little smarter than zombies, but they're basically zombies. It's yeah. super contagious, kind of like uh, the twenty-eight days later infection. Yeah, 
Like, if you just get, like, a drippy drop whiff waft, you know, you're going to fucking get it. It's cool. I liked it, man. The the only thing I kind of wish, I don't know, maybe I do, maybe I don't, because I guess it depends on how it would have come out. I like when, like, when Eric worked on Defenders, um, just getting um, a different artist to ink his style, because I see him ink his stuff all the time. I always like to see what other people's stuff look like on on Larson uh it gives it a little bit of a, a change and I know he probably can't do that in his own book just because of the cost so I was hoping that you know with him working on a Marvel book we might see someone kind of ink his stuff and just see what it looks like but that wasn't the case but it could have gone good or bad because sometimes you get inkers that just don't do the job justice well <laughs> I don't I know. Like I don't know at this point. I would ever want to see someone else ink Eric, and I think Eric has said that he doesn't want anyone else inking him at this point because the way he draws doesn't really isn't really conducive to that process. Well, I don't know. Like Claus Jansen on Defenders was amazing. It looked incredible. Um, I think there are guys that could could still really do a good job, but yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I mean, if he's just gonna do like simple, real quick layouts, then probably can't work. Yeah, because the other, well, other guy's going to have to do a lot of legwork based on that sort of thing. Myself, I love that he, like, you know, drew and wrote it. Right. Yeah. Like, for me, it was like, you know, hell yeah. <laughs> I just feel like we never get a chance anymore. And there have been good anchors on Larson and, and Spider-Man and stuff like that. Like I said, in Defenders, Claus Jansen. I forget. Well, just Laura curious. Who would, you, who would you marry... Uh, who would you marry to his work on this book if you had your way? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say Nick Bradshaw. Al Milgram. That's a... Is that... Well, I, I actually... It would give it more of an old school kind of look. I, I can't think of anybody... See, I don't think of artists in terms of pencilers and inkers anymore. Mm-hmm. It just... It just it, I can't separate the two half the time. Where I know anchors do I mean, a lot of the li- heavy, do a lot of the detail work, but it's it's just hard for me to like think of an anchor because I can't think of like I can't think of an anchor who draws significantly different on. I don't even know how to phrase this. I really don't. It's like I can't think of anchors in terms of like what's their inking style on this particular penciler. I just, I just, oh, I get you. I just, I, because I always just think of that penciler style. That's because you just don't see it that much. I guess. Days. I mean, I guess I, I can spot an Al Gordon from about fifty paces. He's like yeah. really obvious, but he's like the only one. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know who comes to mind, but I, I just like seeing the different interpretations. I'm going to stick with Nick Bradshaw. Yeah, like, I don't know who <laughs> Nick Bradshaw is. Art Adams, basically. Oh. You, if you thought no one was ever going to come along and draw like Art Adams, you're wrong. Nick Bradshaw draws almost just... He's the guy that I showed you that did the Thor, and I was like, look, he, he's like, if Ryan Otley face on Art oh, Adams' that. art. Yeah. yeah, okay. And the only reason I'm choosing him is because it's basically like, I know you'd never get Art Adams to do a whole book like that, 
So it's like, fuck, what's the next best thing, man? Let's get Nick Bradshaw on there. Like, Otley. Maybe, I would say maybe Terry Austin, who did some of his amazing Spider-Man stuff, just to see that team up again, because I, I really, that's kind of, hits a sweet spot for me. I just like, I just like, I just like Eric's inks too much to want anybody else to touch it. Yeah. No, like, like, that. like, I, remember I those, saying... remember those backups in 200, uh, in, in 100? 100, yeah. Wait, was that Eric inking other people or other people, other people inking Eric? Other, other people. people inking him. So like Bruce yeah. Tim, I think Terry Austin. Right. Did I, one. Uh, those are all cool, but none of them are as good as Eric doing himself. Yeah. I get it. No, I get, I, I think sometimes though, like other inkers, like sometimes Eric's stuff can be a little rough and, um, it's fun to see a lot. I, I just thought he can't do it in his own comic because I just think the the cost to hire somebody to do it, that it would be a cool opportunity once in a while just to see. So anyway, moving on, but that was well, just my two cents. We didn't get to shit on the colorist. <clears throat> um, uh. I'm very disappointed in this colorist. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not going to be that mad. Uh, basically though, I will say that uh, botchamania on some of this coloring um, only because it just was oversaturated um, yeah. on the underground. Do you remember? Scenes. Do you remember back in the day I used to rag on um, uh, Nikos because of how yeah. everything, everything was shiny and the yellow skies yep. and everything felt like, yep. like it was way overexposed. Who's it? Yep. The, whoever is coloring this issue is mm-hmm. falling in, like falling that. into all those traps. Yeah, it's funny because I when that first happened, it was around the issue where I think it was the issue when. Uh, the Godland guy came. What's his name? Archer. Uh, I forget. Uh, on Savage Dragon, when when the guy from Godland made an appearance, I think that was Nikos's first issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And now when I look back at it, I'm like, ah, I, I think exactly what you're saying, Jim. It's like over, it's overdone, over rendered, too too There's shiny, too, too many too many uh, highlights, like yeah. white highlights, unnecessary. I think I've really come accustomed to the way they've been coloring recently with a lot of flats and just like the standout characters kind of getting the highlights and stuff. Yeah. For me, I was okay with the choices that the colorist made on the rendering and the choices they made on the highlights and whatnot. Um, what sort of like killed me a bit was just the mud. Like there was oversaturation yeah. Yeah. that hid the detail. Um, so like you'll actually, like there's parts in the underground scenes, mostly when they get above ground, it's, it's okay. But in the underground scenes, uh, you just lose some of Eric's work to the darkness of the coloring and it's more the choice of colors. I know we talked about, there's one scene, there's a, a double splash where like Eric does this classic, like villains on the sides of the the edges of the paper where you see their mouths and stuff. And we had talked about like the color selection where he kind of just, some of those guys in in the you know in the forefront were colored blend to blend in with the background which right. seemed like a weird choice the teeth on the double page spread in the lower left yeah which are awesome i love i love that there's yeah it's the second page the double page spread where it's just like it's a weird choice man i would have i would have <laughs> made that pop because it just looks like a bunch of rocks the way he colored it right. and really if, if you would have colored it like it's a, a four you know Someone in, in in the front, it really would have popped and really looked fucking crazy. Yeah, he, he, he uh, sort of did the thing we were talking about the old uh, retro review where the colorist accidentally like fucked the depth up with the yeah. color choices, 
and yeah, you you kind of he pushed that red skull into the background when they're actually the most foreground object, and so it's kind of nuts. Um, Wait, which yeah. one? Which which red skull are you talking about? Look at um, the sec the double page spread, yep. and for the listeners, it, it's the second page of the of the the story. Yep. There's a double page spread. Look on the bottom left corner. Right, it, that's it blends the, in like rocks. Yeah, those teeth. Yeah, they're they're supposed to be yellow and red. Yep. And yeah, just, instead, instead they look like rocks in the background when they should have been popped. I see what you're saying. So that's in the background. That got pushed in the background as, as rubble instead of teeth. Yeah. Gotcha. And it would have looked amazing if it was, you know, bright red and yellow or whatever. Yeah. Actually, you can see the top part of the jaw, too, just slightly above it. Yeah. Also, right. also colored It shouldn't gray. be that hard. You should have noticed that right away. Right. <laughs> Especially considering, like I said, that's the most foremost object. Like it's kind of like whoa. But other than that, though, I saw some people hardcore shitting on it. I'm not gonna hardcore shit on it because I think there's also times when it. You talking adds... about the coloring? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the coloring. I think there's also times when it completely is fantastic. Yeah. Like the Modoc yeah. thing, I think I, is great. I'm still hoping at some point we or Eric or some post these in a flat looking kind of like old school comic just to see the difference he did uh post all of the black and white yeah yeah i know that but it would be oh, nice okay. and the black and white looks amazing i feel like that would look amazing published mm-hmm. um i really there was a lot of details i caught in the black and white that i feel like the colors muddled up um but i think that's the weakest this is that's the weakest part of this book is the colors yeah that's it and then, of course, it also needs said, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of it, the unfortunate editing mistake of uh, crediting Captain America to Stanley and Jack Kirby. Oh, right. That that story, like, eclipsed everything else about this book. Yeah, part. that pissed me off. That pissed me off because it, I think it, it was a super bummer for, for Eric because that's all people were talking about. And it was like, ugh, really? And it's not corrected in the digital copy. It still says Stanley and Jack Kirby. Yeah, oh, are you serious? Yeah. God damn it, Marvel! Come on, you're owned by Disney. Pay the other an, thing. That, go ahead. Sorry. Pay an intern. That's all I was gonna say. The other thing that drives me crazy is that they make the Larson cover the variant edition. That also like, is on, such man. a huge pain in my ass. Because now I got to look at this digital copy with the with the with the main cover forever, and the <laughs> and the and the variant cover is not included at all. I guess digital yeah. loses in this case. You know what's funny? Um, it's variant cover artist is Eric Larson and uh, Edgar Delgado, which I think he did the colors. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's any relation to Farron Delgado, the the uh, letterer for Savage Dragon. Weird, if so. <laughs> Weird. That's the other. That's the other thing I sorely miss too is being is I'm so used to seeing Eric's art with beautiful lettering, and I just feel like eh, the lettering it's not horrible. But it's definitely not the same quality. I thought the lettering was pretty standard for. It's standard, but I'm. Used but no, to, like, I mean, Savage I mean, Dragon. I mean, standard for like Larson. I think it tried to be retro in a lot of ways, and I think it mostly made succeeded. I feel like um, these letters, which are typical for kind of corporate comics now, they just feel like stickers on top of things. Yeah, they but don't it, the sound effects are like are like much. that in Savage Dragon now. Ever since they went to. Uh, uh, I feel like they still look to me 
Savage Dragon's letters still look like they're hand lettered. They they still have something about it that doesn't make it look as. We talked about it. You know exactly what it is. It's the lack of line weight. Yeah, these, a- absolutely. Yeah, these word these uh, sound effects are just way too thin. Yeah, and absolutely. It's kind of like if you want them to look more organic, you have to work it up. Um, I'll I'll point it out when we get to some of these pages, but like. Some some of the sound effects work, but yeah, you're right, uh, Raven. It's the ones where you can definitely see the real thin lines, and it's yeah. like it looks like a sticker. Like there's speech bubbles where the little Asian girl's like yelling the IE, like the A I I E E E, mm-hmm. when she's like screaming, and those they just look like kind of uh, one of those like window decals that you stick on or something. You know what I mean? Like those <laughs> I also reusable think stickers. As I flip through. Every single sound effect is, uh, you know, a big flat color. Yeah. And I also think that you, you know, have an opportunity to have sound effects have personality through color even. Like, you can throw a gradient in it. You can, like, sort of have some texture on it. Like, basically, this is just it fell into too much of a font. Like way too well, I'm forward. looking right now, and those IEs that you spoke of, mm-hmm. they're used twice on the same page, and they are identical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you see that in another place, like, you'll see uh, some of the same, like, the sound effects, like, 100% the same sound effect. Like, I'm looking at two red skulls, uh, I mean, I'm looking at a panel of red skulls. One's riding a Green Goblin glider. If you really want to nail yeah. the panel down, and it says "blam blam," and there's no personality difference between the yeah, blams, yeah. and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you know, it just could look better. That's all. I don't know how many Marvel comics actually have this kind of sound effects anymore, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not horrible, but from somebody that's been a longtime reader of Savage Dragon and his favorite book, you notice. I, I feel like. It's really noticeable. Well, this um, book layout-wise is very, very Kirby. Everything is yeah. four-panel grids, nine-panel grids, six-panel grids, and yep, it, it, it's he's very much channeling the Joe the Joe Simon Jack Kirby stuff. Uh, and oh yeah, absolutely. Which does make this book stand out in terms of like look because most Marvel comics do not look like this anymore. I wouldn't yeah. know. Absolutely. Oh, I can no, I assure yeah, you. No, yeah. It's very retro looking. It's but funny. I like on, the look of it. Every other page um, is it, every other page isn't a double page spread you see. Oh, okay. That seems <laughs> that's really they do that's on? that's really common at Marvel and DC is that double page spreads have like taken over. Huh. It's very I mean noticeable I find. Better double page spreads than none, I guess. Page four is hilarious. There's a a, a it's a classic four-panel page, but the action in it and the punch where he punches uh, Red Skull and it says Brock as the sound effect, that Red Skull face doesn't get any more Jack Kirby than that. <laughs> With the eyes all little. Yeah, the, just the weird Jack Kirby face, the mouth. Everything about it is is the 1970s when Jack Kirby returned to Captain America. The Bronze Age Kirby. <laughs> Oh, so so not Golden Age Kirby. No, no, this is total Bronze Age Kirby. If uh, if you looked at when he returned back to Marvel, he he jumped on Captain America, 
and uh, it's a great run. It's it's spectacular. There's lots of weird faces in it and lots of weird Kirbyisms, and this book channels it 100. percent Well, I I nice. love I love this nine panel grid page, but I love nine panel grids. Yeah, in general, that's super Kirby. Just the the, the back and forth fight. Yep. Cling, ram, wood, thock, The listener, yeah, it's just the, there's that one, I don't know how many nine panel pages are on it, this, I, this book. Uh, I was looking through, I th- don't think, many, I don't think, right? I don't think he repeats a layout. No, it's a lie. I guess there's oh, no, he does. two he six does, panel pages here. Never mind. Yeah. But the <laughs> nine panel page is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he does not do another one. No, wait, there is one more. There's two. Never mind. But so, so the gist of this book is that um, there was a battle between what Red Skull and Captain America. Red Skull let off; he was killed by Captain America or somebody, and and released some kind of virus mist, right? It was which in- mutated and infected everybody. Well, it was intended to infect everyone in New York, but then it mutated, and now it's spread across the entire world. And so, everyone turns into a Red Skull type looking character. And they all want to attack, basically Captain America or anybody that's. Well, they 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 want to they want to assimilate each other, but they primarily want to kill Captain America, specifically. And they all seem to be able to talk normal and almost think normal, but they all have that one objective. Right. They have almost a high hive mind that sort of unites them. Uh, But they do. They can talk and they do strategize, but they are very single-minded about their goals because they'll kill themselves trying to trying to kill Captain America. Right, and we've gotten to a point where it seems like most people are assimilated. Everything is like just destroyed. It's a zombie apocalypse, basically, and Cap is just battling hordes of uh, these zombies. This is way in the future because Cap's pretty much old and gray yep and he and he's alone you barely see any other like signs of other heroes no uh, like i think raven the only sign you see of the other like the marvel universe is the green goblin glider that one of the skull guys is on presumably and uh, the green goblin and the helicarrier the shield helicarrier that's right right and modok who shows up later yeah, but he's, he's he's a cap villain and cap's always been tied with shield so that really those are more cap yeah. things yeah yeah but um yeah, so he bumps into a bunch of uh, uh, survivors that are in the bottom of this like skyscraper basement or somewhere. The backgrounds in this issue are all pretty cool. I enjoyed them. Lots of like mazy kind of malls or kind of weird basements that Eric always is great at drawing. Yeah, lots of uh, debris. Debris, puddles pipes or something like that brick like a discarded tire like it's really just cool shit yeah yeah lots of action i mean this this is all plays to eric's strengths um i mean i would say this book is non-stop action uh pretty much yeah cap's basically on the run the entire issue which is great i mean the pace on this is fantastic He runs into survivors, but of course, when you run into survivors in this scenario, you basically doom them all. Yeah. Lots of great panels of Cap action, like him holding up the, the shield and the guy smacking right into it, the splaying. 
you know, mm-hmm. him firing the shield, and you just see, like, bodies of red skulls flying in each direction. Um, and Cap's very specific about not killing anybody, because he still believes there's a cure. Talks about freedom the whole time. <laughs> he does talk a lot about America and freedom. You'd think, yeah, you'd think in, a, in a scenario like this, you'd tone it down a bit, Steve. Yeah, yeah. It's like, we're, we're just worried about the world surviving. At yeah, this point, but... yeah, I think the ideals of America are great and all, but uh, maybe focus a little bit more on... Uh... Yeah, cause that's always a bit weird about Captain America. Because the thing I like most about Captain America is that he does represent America, but he isn't, like, really a dick about it. Right. He isn't, he, he's usually, because he, he doesn't pick sides, he tries to be, he isn't impartial, but he also doesn't pick sides. It's it's kind of hard to articulate sometimes, but uh, generally he doesn't, he doesn't stand around pontificating about America and how great she is. Can I just say shout outs to, to me, one of the best, like, it's like a funny visual, but it's also kind of like creepy world building is when Marsha, you know, the young black lady gets shot um, in the middle of the fight. The Red Skulls attack the survivors. Uh, she gets shot. And the one Red Skull says, the girl's been shot. She's as good as dead. She's useless to the cause. And then there's a kid. It's like a kid body with a Red Skull head on it, which yeah. is a fucking hilarious visual, but also... What it says is so creepy and like subtly world building. It goes, "She's only so much meat now, fit only for the stew pot." Yeah, it's gross. It's great, dude. It's really great. It really like makes these like red skulls so much creepier. Yeah, and they're still r- racist as f. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, they they all have your filthy hands off me. Yeah, they all have they all have red skulls personality. Yeah, right. Because that's kind of what's happened is Red Skull has basically disseminated his 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 beliefs, his worldview into the population through a virus. Yeah. So half of Cap's kind of uh, survivor crew kind of succumbs to the virus when they get attacked. And so he escapes with uh, a couple of survivors. The, the old man, Abe, who's kind of a doctor, uh there's a young uh, Asian girl and um, Marsha, I guess Marsha, who just got shot. So. But got to, gets a blood transfusion from Cap, who happens to be the universal donor. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's always been a thing with him. I think it was part of why he got picked to be a super soldier, or at least it was retcon to be. He's, he's a pretty all-around useful blood egg. It's kind of funny, kinda... just you know. Seems like a kind of a, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, that's kind of a funny little thing. Just becomes insanely important, that's all. Yeah, funny <laughs> thing about an Eric Larson book and uh, focus on blood. Weird that. <laughs> but no, I'm saying, like, imagine if he wasn't a universal donor. Oh, yeah, that would just be no story. Doomed. Well, I'm just saying there'd, there'd be some people who'd be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, I think it's really cool. Tell me if I'm wrong, boys. It's a slight commandy nod. Yeah, the Statue of Liberty. Absolutely. All right. And on the raft. As someone who hasn't read Commandy, I'm saying even I noticed, so. Boo. Hey, I don't hate it. I just don't have time and money. (laughs) I haven't read it either. Don't worry. Don't don't hate. I'll get it. Don't worry. I'll get it. It's coming. I think you guys would enjoy it. No, I think I would too, yeah. 
I mean, I've, what's funny is I've read things that like were leaning on Commandy, and I like those. So, I think you got like you read it, and then you go back and read the Savage World stuff, and you'd be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> it would give you a new take on stuff. Oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> um, the Shield Carrier is uh, sweet. I I think that I feel like we don't get to see. Talk about Craig. You said getting to see Eric play with other toys. Yeah, I don't know that we get to see stuff like this in Savage Dragon all the time. No, we don't. Like just What's a, it? a big piece of tech. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, he goes and walks in and is uh, immediately kind of shot at and stuff. So he keeps his survivors by the doorway and busts in, and we get one of the coolest splash pages in the book. Mm-hmm. Now, I flipped that page, and I was like, wow. Now, I'm not going to lie. I don't care about MODOK at all. I, it's still a cool visual, you must yeah, admit. I, I enjoy him for the visual. I don't know much about the character outside of what Kirby's done. I don't know what they've done with him since, but I love He's just Kirby a big guy. brain in the chair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Pop it's quiz, just... what does MODOK stand for? <sighs> Murder... Wait, murder. Oh, I know. I used to know this. I gotta actually look at the name. M O D O K. M O D. Murder. Uh, organi- murder organism. I'm getting into them in the wrong order, aren't I? I don't even know. <laughs> Jesus, thanks, man. <laughs> but I do know it is murderous organism, deadly organism, something killing. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's a cool visual. I think uh, the idea to have the Red Skull virus infect Bodok is genius. I think it's fucking genius because it's a great visual. Apparently, Modok is the reason that they have a hive mind because he is a telepath. Right. So once Cap defeats him, the actual hive mind part breaks down. Yeah, they they become they still have that singular purpose, but they're just they can't talk. They're less organized, right? So apparently, his name was based on mobile organism designed only for computing, and then he changed his name when he became kind of evil to mobile organism designed only for killing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> love it, dude. Terrific. I love it. Yeah, and uh, he gets a big old shield of the forehead. So that's awesome. Choke. Suck it. Yeah, it's fucking fantastic, dude. You get that, the great uh, explosions, the Larson explosions, lots of Kirby dots and stuff on the pages following. I feel like it needs said, we haven't said it yet, the narration on this does a fantastic job of selling the bleakness. Yeah, yeah. It also does a really good job of selling this world. Like, I love, it kills me how few people get it, but like, Words and pictures, right? So, like, the narration bubble, much maligned. Thoughts bubbles, much maligned. But the reason why you use those words is to convey information that you couldn't get. And so when it talks about the stale air, or, like, as he's in the shield helicarrier, and he's saying, um, right before he sees Modoc, he's like, the heat rises with every step. You wouldn't yeah. obviously know that. There's an audible hum, a buzz, pressure. All of these things you would not know. So Right. I love you have it. to be told. Yeah, I love it. I think that that was really masterful use of that. And, uh, yeah, he uses that all throughout this issue. I think it's really cool. 
I also love the wordplay. Like he keeps repeating the phrase, a scratch, a touch, a smell. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's really effective in this book. Like it's almost like something that everybody knows in this universe. Like that, it, and he keeps saying it. So it's like almost haunting, you know? Like, yeah. It's it, cool. It's, it's creepy. And, and think I, about I our like modern that. situation. How many times have you heard, wash your hands, wash your hands? Social distancing. Yeah, six <laughs> six feet back, wash your hands. Yeah. It's like we're living it, man. Never heard the term social distancing before last month, and now it's like part of the lexicon. <laughs> it'll, be, so. it'll be a meme forever. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm just saying it. I, I think the writing on this really sings. Well, it certainly uh, plays up the desperation, especially this final stand of Captain America. Just everyone is, all the skulls are coming after him, and he's just beating them all back, but he can't do it forever, and he decides, maybe if I give up, they'll stop. It's kind of, here's where you get into some nice metaphor action. So he's fighting, he's fighting, he's like, man, you know, fuck, I'm trapped, there's nothing else, and then he realizes, like, oh shit, it's me. He's like, it's me they want. Yeah, you get that awesome splash page where I, he's like, "It's me." Yeah, this 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 yeah. this Captain America face is my favorite panel in the in the book. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The even the 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 smoking background looks fantastic. I think the colorist actually did a really good job. Like you could almost feel like the fire is kind of reflecting off his face, the way the glow is in the shadow play and in the red smoke. It it looks great. And I think it's a cool kind of, like I said, like there's some obvious meta commentary. I won't get overly political, but obviously the Red School metaphor for, you know, hive mind of people that are, you know, they're not acting in their best interests. Like, you know, they're just sort of all the only thing they know is they just want to have like a hive mind, a unity. But like, that's it. And so like here, kind of like this is his low point. Like it's his breaking point. He's like fucking just tired of fighting. And he's like, you know what? He's like, maybe I'm the problem. He was like, if I wasn't here, they wouldn't have an enemy. Well, yeah, he's like, basically, they're the new normal now, yeah. and he's just the one in the way. It's cool. It's cool. And I don't know about you guys, but I was like, God damn, is he going to write this bleak-ass ending? I thought for yeah. a I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. These Marvel The End books don't always end well. I thought for right. a minute that's how this shit was going to end. I was like, oh, no, dude. Cap, fucking come on. It got me. I bought it. And he, he, and and he was going to give up until he saw one last glimmer of hope. Because Abe reverted yeah. back into a man. Which is cool because he lost all his facial hair. Yeah, all his hair <laughs> fell out. Exactly. And and Cap basically had to find out why. And it turns out it was Captain America all along. He still has his yarmulke, though. Yeah. yeah he must have put that back on. <laughs> he picked that back up. That that cat face when he sees Abe, the panel after he sees Abe, it's a great panel. I like that. My shield, Abe. It's good, dude. And I'm telling you, just slight correction. You he doesn't see Abe and get hope. He fights because Marcia needs him to, dude. Right. She she tells him, she's like, Please you know, don't let him win. And that's what gets uh, you know, the old patriotic pud pounders pounding puds again. I don't know. Yeah. I tried to be patriotic. One more time, a final push. <laughs> One last fight for freedom. One last battle for the human race. Love it, dude. Love it. I tell you, I'm not a Captain America fan. 
I don't hate him. I just never really liked him. But I like this character, and this and yeah. this this was good, dude. Tell you and for the listeners, if you like this stuff, pick up the Bronze Age Kirby Captain America. It's bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's weird ass shit. It's corny at times, but it's fun ass comics. It's so fun. They have a whole omnibus just on the Bronze Age Kirby, and they're just a lot of wacky, fun concepts going on. 70s Kirby is fucking fun as shit. Nice. If, if you listeners have not really dove into the treasure chest of 70s Kirby comics like Machine Man and Captain America and The Eternals and uh, uh, Devil Dinosaur and stuff like that, Commandy, um, it's it's... You know, the demon, it's fun stuff. Um, totally bonkers. But if you like this, you will love that stuff. Nice, dude. I'm into it. Yeah, like I said, I'm not really a cap guy, but goddamn if I wasn't feeling the old stars and stripes reading this shit. <laughs> so in the end. Yeah, John Day, apparently. Yep, that's John yeah. Day with a gun. <laughs> Yeah, hunting down the Red Skulls and Cap's living his life as a donor, a universal donor. Well, so the I think the general gist of it is Captain America is no more. So Steve Rogers is now basically a blood bank for the entire world, so he can't risk his life anymore. So he's effectively retired. Although it is interesting that he's fought for all these people's freedom, but in a way he is now a prisoner. Because he yeah. can't, he can't really leave. He always has to be there to uh, resupply the blood uh, for the population for billions and billions of people. But Jim, it doesn't matter He's... because his blood literally flows through their veins. That's true. Freedom. Freedom. He sacrificed himself in the end. Sacrificed a normal life, and for the good of humanity. And that's that juxtaposition. Like, he is like a prisoner. He's, like, held in there. But, you know, Abe tells him, he's like, how you feeling? He's like, yeah, it feels like freedom. Boom. It's good, dude. I think Eric is an underrated writer. I think all anybody focuses on is, like, fucking, you know, oh, shit cannons. And here's a character who shoots period blood all over people and stuff like that. But I think he can write his goddamn ass off. Yeah. He writes a goddamn great superhero comic. He's not trying to be more. He's not trying to be Alan, you know, Alan Moore. <laughs> I didn't mean more by Alan Moore at the time, but now that I think about it, he's not trying to, like, <laughs> make a huge narrative. He's trying to make fun superhero comics, and he does a good job. It's not supposed to be Nobel Prize winning shit, you know. It's supposed to be a great beat-em-up, fisticuffs yarn that is fun to read and, and you know... And that's exactly what this was. And yet I do think at that same time, I do think that, like, he commands, like, you know, metaphors and shit like absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think he absolutely can do that stuff. I don't think anybody associates him with that, but I think it's a crime. I think he's fucking underrated as fuck when it comes to writing. Right. Cause he, I, know, he knows how to use the tools of the, the comics. Like you were absolutely. saying, how he can make, you know, the dialogue describe you know, the feelings of what's going on. And he knows the strengths and weaknesses of comics that he can play with it to get the best out of it. Well, like you said, even through, even the, like the repetition of a turn of phrase, it's like really drives it home. You know what I mean? 
I don't know. It's good. It's fucking good, dude. I would play a video game of this scenario. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they should make, like, I hope, like, the MCU, like, I'm checked the fuck out. But if they made, like, Captain America versus basically Red Skull zombies into a movie, God, watch the shit out of that. <laughs> if they made this into a movie, I'd watch it. Yeah. Absolutely. They'd ruin it by shoving a bunch of other cameos in it, but goddamn, this would be a great movie. I would watch it. Fantastic, Jim. Your thoughts? I I enjoyed it quite a bit as like a standalone one-off story. Uh, I I agree. Oh I agree. Eric Larson is a underrated writer. I think he does this emotional stuff really well. Uh, I'm gonna throw one last thing in when you're done. Okay. Go ahead. Just keep doing, keep doing your thing. Well, no, I, I, that's it. Yours. I'm done. I think generally it looks pretty good. The coloring could have been a little bit less loud, but otherwise, I think it was good. I don't know if it was worth five dollars. I think Marvel overprices a lot of their stuff like this. I mean, this is only a thirty-page comic. Funny you should mention it. it. Ties exactly into the thing I wanted to say. So I'll get your thoughts on it. You too, Craig. So basically, it's funny. It's funny the kismet, the timing. You know, this comic came out back in February, but we started this talking about the uh, potential market collapse, you know, with no new comics or whatever else. A discussion that I've been having with people is about the value of a single issue. The monthly issue is, you know, in jeopardy is what they're saying. And yeah. They're like, oh, maybe these floppies will go away. And floppies. They'll just be Don't use that word in my presence. I didn't use it because I think for me it's blasphemy. Plus, I know that it was created on. I can I can like, flop a trade paperback too. I'm pretty sure it was created to be derogatory. Yeah. So I never call them floppies myself, but somebody I was talking Just to call was them singles. Floppies. Singles. They're singles. They're monthlies or singles. But like, check it out. So like, a lot of people are like, "Oh, well, it needs to go away, or oh, it's going to die, and if it goes away, it'll be no big deal." Let me tell you something. I think that like. Things like Captain America, the end, things like the amazing screw on head, you know, things like that really prove that there is a val there's a validity to this format, right? Right. The sta- the to the one issue, shot format? To the one shot, to the monthly, even if it isn't yeah. like a I'm saying it has value. And I've had this conversation several times in the last few days where people are like, meh. If monthly's going away, I just don't give a shit. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's not my fault that, like, you only read shitty comics that aren't written well. Like, if you read a good comic that's written well, you're like, absolutely, this shit fucking works. It's fantastic. This fucking Captain America The End had all the world building it fucking needed to tell you how desperate and how dire, how terrible the world was, how bad everything was. And it ended... In a concise, like, really satisfying way. end. Satisfying, yeah. Gave you even hope for the future. Sort of let you know shit's gonna be okay. And I don't know. I'm just saying, it's really. You could have picked up that book, been from Japan, never read an American comic book before in your life, and enjoyed that, and not had to know anything about Captain America, really. Well, I mean, essentially, I wasn't from Japan, but like. I don't really read Captain America, you know. I don't know shit hardly about him. I know he's Steve Rogers. I know Red Skull is 
Hitler's bellboy, and <laughs> I know you know Bucky was brought back to the from the dead to become Winter Soldier. You know, for a while Bucky right. was a golden cow like Aunt May and Uncle Ben. I mean, I have loose knowledge, but I'm not a fan, not even close. And yet, I yeah. loved this shit. I loved it, and so I'm just saying it's kind of funny just the timing of us reviewing this at this place in time because I feel like this standalone issue is a really exemplary. It's a great way to just put this in someone's hand. If someone says, yeah. if monthlies go away, who cares? Say, here, read this. You won't get stuff like this, yeah. No, you won't. You know, that, that you know, I used to love books, and I don't think they come out anymore either, but like Marvel Comics Presents, where you had new writers or artists, and you got like three short stories, or maybe they were serialized, but they were just like little snippets here and there. I miss those things, but... There's there's a place even even Eric's one shot with the Spider Man was like kind of like two short stories in one. Um, the only way you're making that into a trade is if you bunch up a bunch of one shots or something. I don't know. I personally am a fan of the one shot story, the done one, but the appeal of comics for me is the serial serialization of them. It's the coming back every month to get another piece of the story. Mm-hmm. And when you're done, when you've when you've read years and years of it, to have an ongoing narrative to 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 have, yeah. I think we're on the same page. I agree. I think books like like Marvel Comics Presents or like DC Comics Presents, those books have more limited appeal because they're standalone. There's no hook to bring you back for the next issue if everything is going to just either reset or change or just be another one-off story that you can come into and leave and come into at any time. There's no hook to keep you coming back every issue. Yeah. I I think the hook for, for me on those was the talent. So, you know, whereas the long form kind of serialized version, you might have the same team for a year or something. The Marvel comics presents, you got to see new artists or new writers kind of cut their chops on, or I don't know, like just, Trying to make a name for themselves, and, and, and there was a lot of cool creators. That and came un- out of unproven that. creators are hard sell in general. So you get a book with a bunch of nobodies or unknowns, rather, and you're going to struggle to sell it. Is all it's going to boil down yeah, to? Well, a lot of times you'd get maybe one. You know, you'd get some, a, a serial. So like Weapon X had a, a Barry Windsor Smith, and then and, the back and, and you know, the other two stories, the three that's stories, that's almost, might be in my opinion, almost a better way to do it. Instead of having uh, new people test things out, get your biggest names to do short run stuff that they other that they the otherwise guys. wouldn't have any other place to go. And then yes, have backups to introduce other things. So you get that big marquee lead every time. And when you don't do that, there's no reason to come back, and so the book sales fall, and then they get canceled. So, but again, I prefer the serials to the one-offs, almost ninety percent yeah. of the time. And I think I think we're all saying that. I think, and Raven, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you can correct me, but I, I think it, what you're saying is it's still good to have these one shots and it's fun. And if you don't have the singles market, you don't get these unless it's in some kind of anthology. Right. Pretty much. That's it. I, I think that like, you know, essentially to what I was speaking to, I have nothing against monthly serialization. Cause that's still singles. That's still monthlies. Um, 
I'm saying that like there were people I was talking to. I saw the conversation a lot. It wasn't just like a few people I was talking to. Well, they were like, oh, you know, if the direct market goes away, you know, we'll still have trades. So who cares? And it's like, no, well, dude, you know, monthlies yeah. have a place. Well, and and it goes right to the point that we were talking about, where we we're saying five dollars. You know, Jim was like, ah, five dollars for this. Well, if it's nothing but trades, you know, your minimum price point is going to be, you know, 12, 13 bucks and higher. Thirteen, right. just, $13, uh, just, $12 to $20, maybe, maybe yeah. even 25 Right. And, and the thing is, single issues subsidize trades because you get to sell sure, it twice. Sure. Yeah. That, right. that's, hey. that, that's the economics of comic books. You sell the single issues, pay your creators up front, and then on the back end, you collect the stuff to reap as much profit as you can out of it. And a lot of people that buy singles also buy trade collections of the same thing. Right. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, it goes for Savage Dragon. I have all the collections, so and I still buy. You the eliminate those single issues now. Not only do you have to pay up front for six issues of content that you're not going to get any money for until it's complete, you don't get that first sale on the single issue market over several months before you recollect it in a in a, in a book. Right. You got and those book sales, if they don't continue indefinitely, you 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 don't get your money back for years. Well, people are a lot less likely to try new stuff, and then they're just going to stick with what they buy, and then they're eventually just going to drop out of comics when those comics end. Yeah, because I'll tell you right now, like I'll buy various different image books and try them out, at least the first two issues, and if I'm not, if I don't like it, I'm dropping it. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take that risk with a trade unless it's marked down or for sale because I just don't have the 12 to 20 bucks to, to take a chance on. Now, Absolutely. I, I'm going to be honest. My big problem with Marvel in particular, it's almost it's exclusively this problem I have with Marvel. Marvel likes their $5 books. Pretty much everything I've been interested in reading at Marvel has come with a $5 price tag. And every single time, every time I go to buy it, I go, I decide not to. Because five dollars yeah. is just too much. It's the breaking point. E- even for thirty pages of story, it's just too much. Because I go back over to DC, where I'm getting similar page counts for four dollars, but I'm also getting like, um, they they've been they've been putting out these like uh, part of the DC Black Label. They've been putting out these prestige format books for like six or seven dollars that have like sixty pages. Yeah. They're just a way better value than anything Marvel publishes. So I almost always want to put my money towards that because it's just a better value. I don't know if you guys have remember. I mean, I know Eric talks about this all the time where the price of comics used to always track with kind of the price of a candy bar. Right. He said, that, some he point. said that a few days ago. And I'll be honest. <laughs> and I'll he be, say that and, a few days ago? He says that all the time. And I mean, time, to be I fair, do. candy bars cost $2 now. Yeah, yeah, he said. He said uh, he actually literally used that. I think either today or yesterday. He said, um, "No kidding." Uh, yeah, he said, uh, "Candy bar, uh, double the price of a candy bar, and that's where a comic lands." Yeah, a king size and, a king size candy bar is like two dollars and twenty cents now. It's fucking well, bananas. Me, I, I drink Coke a lot. You know, Coke is like a dollar seventy nine. Yep, two dollars for so, a soda. Yeah, and so it's like the, I think really the problem when people were like, "Oh, five dollars," it's like really. The value of five dollars has dropped. Indeed, a lot. yeah. <laughs> so it's rough. It's I, I get it. Um, yeah, I don't know. To me, and it's I feel worth like it. with with comics too, it's like it's not worth it for younger people that don't have 
the money. I'm saying in general. I'm not saying for everybody or whatever, but I'm just saying like if I was in high school or just had a part time job, I, I couldn't afford comics. I'm I'm pretty comfortable in my lifestyle now that I can afford it, mm-hmm. but I don't think I would be into this hobby if I was 21 years old and making the pay I was making at 21 because I just. It's, I just don't didn't have that extra income to spend on comics. Um, I've got whereas, I've got weeks and weeks okay. of comics that in my wish list that I haven't picked up yet. Uh, just today, I got paid for my unemployment for the last two weeks. I haven't been paid in two weeks because I've been out of work because uh, of the coronavirus stuff. And this is the first time I've had twenty dollars to rub together to grab like eight books. Right, and that's not even a right. dent in the in the twenty or thirty that I have in my in my wish list. God help me if I was buying print and I had to pay for all these books. Because I'd be the wish listing right. shit is really an eye opener, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been I've been wish listing games on my Switch instead of you know buying them. And holy shit, I blinked and I had like 150 games in my wish list. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll never. I I don't have time in my life to play 150 games. Yeah, wish list real eye opener. <laughs> What's what's the price of a digital comic? Same as print, the same exactly as... the same. Wow. Well, there there's two phases. One on new releases, and also Marvel and DC books in particular, the price is the same as the print comic. So all new books are priced the same on release. Image, Dark Horse, IDW, Boom, and I think Dynamite. After one month, the price drops in half. So a four dollar book costs two. That's good. See, it's crazy that it's like Mar- I mean, Marvel and DC don't do that though. They stay full price always until the trade paperback collection comes out, and then Marvel will drop their prices in half because a trade collection costs about half of what it costs to buy all the comics new. But you know, people don't want to do that because it gets spoiled. I want to know before it gets spoiled. I just you know, it's weird because I keep going back because I do think there's a lot of parallels with the music industry, but it's different in the music industry you pay more for the physical copy rightfully so but you can jump on Bandcamp and pay half the price or a lot of times it's just pay what you want in certain cases to get the digital version so like, and digital comics go on sale all the time i almost i almost never pay full price for back issues it's almost always yeah. just new stuff that i need to read right now that i pay full price for I just can't imagine why they can't make it a dollar cheaper. Because you're not paying for the paper or the print or the distribution. It's a, it, it's a myth. Well, I'll break it. Well, I guess I'll break. I'll break. I'll break it. I'll the... break it down for you real quick. Print is negligible. Paper printing presses in the volumes that comics sell. The the value is pennies. All of the money in comics is production. It's the penciler, the inker, the colorist, the editor, the letterer. That's what you're. All the money, but goes. even if it so if it's di- a five dollar book, even if fifty cents comes out of the printing, the the labor and stuff like that. I mean, you figure that they could make it a different price point because well, there is something different. But then there's there but is, there is also okay. the factor of pissing off, undercutting your physical stores. The retailers are the, the retailers are very testy, and that's probably why, especially with new that's releases. Probably. They they don't care so much about back issues; they only care about new releases. But again. It's because comics actually don't cost that much to print. So there's not a lot of savings even without print. And also, Comixology Amazon takes 30% off every sale. So that's your distribution cost. 
it's funny though it's like again the parallel of the music industry there's record stores there's independent record stores but not, there's not as many mall as record used stores by a wide margin no but i mean it's the same thing with comics there's definitely not as many comic shops out there as there used to be when look at the 90s and how many comic shops there were versus today well, my, my, I, I my, think it's a very big parallel my feeling about comparing vinyl or music stores to comic shops is that i see vinyl as very niche People don't. Mm-hmm. People get Spotify subscriptions these days. That's the music industry. People who buy vinyl are just people who are way into music or way into collecting. They're a very tiny minority. Do we want comics to be a tiny minority industry? Do we want it to be niche like that? And I don't think that's healthy for the in, for for comics, not the industry of comics, but comics. If things get too insular, too small, the it just. People will make comics, like Rick Raven says. People love comics, will make comics. But the comics won't be available, not wildly, wide, widely, or in the formats people want. Yeah. I don't think it's that far off, though, honestly, to be to be honest, because top-selling comics only sell 100,000 copies. So we're, we're getting there. And you look at vinyl and vinyl distribution worldwide. I'm not talking about just the United States. Right. I bet you the numbers are comparable, because... Records are sold worldwide, whereas Marvel comics comics are, comics are comics are sold part. worldwide. You can you can you can get comics in, they are, in Europe, but, but in Japan. I don't think the levels like music is, but I could be wrong. And, I don't and, know. I'm talking I mean, about Aust- Australia right and and England both get American comics every Wednesday. Same as like in in Tokyo, there's basically like one shop, like one. Uh, brand shop I don't, I'm, I'm having a brain fart one, here. one american comic store one type of shop that sells american comics i mean i'm sure there's more little like niche ones but uh you know just one uh one type of store. i forget the name of it right now blister i think it's called I, I, that's all i could find they have different branches but um you don't really find american comics there um i didn't really look in europe but i mean i obviously you can get them because I mean, we have plenty of fanatics from England and Germany and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think it's the level that that's in the States. I think um, that it's a lot harder to gauge that uh, as far as, like, the popularity or success of digital versus physical, uh, mostly because you have, uh, you know, there are things like, uh, who is it, like Miley Cyrus or Jack White, one of the two, they had like the number one grossing, you know, album because of their physical sales, and uh, it could I, be Jack White because he he owns his own actual uh, vinyl pressing plant too. Well, see, so there you go. But I forget who it was. Somebody was like, uh, other than Jack, they were like, you know, taking a stand. They're like, well, you know, they're like, we don't know. They're like, it doesn't. It's not proven that that pays really well. Most people think it pays shitty. And so it's, and in fact, I hear that all the time. Like I see musicians being like, cool, time to get my pennies this month because of Spotify's payouts are so shitty. Yeah. Yeah. They are really shitty. The crazy thing about vinyl is that, um, because it dipped so low Mm -hmm. through to the nineties that pressing plants all shut down and all like the acetate pressing for vinyl, uh, the things that actually press everything into wax or it's not really wax anymore. It's, it's acetate. Mm-hmm. Um, they all shuttered. And so the equipment is old and there's only a f- 
you know, handful of companies that know how to, to run them. Mm -hmm. So now the demand is ramping back up that they, uh, they don't have enough factories to supply and you can't just go out and buy the machinery anymore Mm because it's so old. No one else is producing them anymore. So there's really starting to be a, a stranglehold on that. And then two months ago, one of the factories that actually produces the record stamps for the, the, the factories burnt down. And so now there's even a tighter squeeze. So, oh, no. And, and, and yeah. think about that. Vinyl dropped off almost the face of the earth in the 90s. Everyone went to, to cassette tapes and CDs and stopped CD, giving a shit. Yeah. And then when interest came back, the entire quote-unquote industry had been gutted because of there was no money in it. And now it's almost made to be niche because they can't even manufacture them. If comics go the same way, all the printing presses go to waste, get shut down, get scrapped, and people want comics again in 20 years. There's no one to print them. I I mean, can the same factories that print magazines and stuff, could they... Be fitted well, to well, work both. So Eric, as, as long as there's books and magazines, Eric has said that the reason you can't just go to bog paper like new, uh, newsprint paper is that it would be more expensive because the entire industry has shifted to one standard. So trying to get a different paper type is actually cost you more because that paper isn't produced in the quantities needed to get the lower price volume. It would be right. a similar situation if comics all went away. The machines that staple the spines because most magazines are glued. Think about that. Most yeah. magazines are glued. There are some that are stapled, but most of them are glued. So if like all the machines that staple stuff don't have comics to print, go to waste. What happens when you want to print more? St- We're just doing trades. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know printing presses from from Adam, so I can't tell you. I'm just saying. I'm just spitballing here. A similar thing. And like, does, Raven, you got your book printed. You had to do this whole process with uh, with uh, plates, right? They have to actually etch plates yeah, to, was, to stamp the actual pages. Yeah, mine was actually offset printed, and that's why it costs so much is because you're doing metal plates. And so if comics go away, what does do magazines do it that way? Do they use the same process? Does does the do the people who do that go away and then not exist anymore? I so don't know. The way it works the way it works is that like nobody everybody thinks that printing is like just this dead thing, but what people don't realize there's still a shit ton of things printed in this world, right? So you will never not have offset printers. And the reason being is because it's kind of like how you could 3D print something or you could make a model and just do a cast of it. Uh, why do people fuck with the old school way of doing it if you have 3D printers and everything now? It's because the new stuff just isn't there yet. And print is in a weird place. Because it's like, obviously, POD is a superior concept where you only make what you need when you need it and you never have overhead and you never have waste. Who in this fucking world wouldn't want that to be the standard? But the problem is, is that because it's in this weird kind of um, we're not quite there yet place technology-wise, the costs on POD can't compare to if you do offset printing like if i did with my book and i really had to fight like people just didn't understand it at all but like i did 2000 books and the cost to do 2000 books if i had uh like offset printed was like $11,000 and it's like okay well that's a lot but 
if you if I had done those same books POD, it would have been like fucking forty thousand dollars, just because the technology's different, the equipment's right. different. Right. Use a shit and ton so, more toner because they're all just printed out. They're literally that's exactly. It's like a giant version of your HP printer, and it burns to that goddamn toner. Whereas the four color print process, you know. Stamp, stamp, Cyan, stamp. yellow, magenta, black on metal plates pressed into paper four times, and you get a full-color image off those four colors. That is old as shit, and yet it's still more cost-effective than the new stuff. Right. And so maybe the new stuff will get there, and then the print industry will be saved. And I mean, because if you think about it, comics, the whole reason we have this struggle is because the direct market is non-returnable. So if shop owners buy shit, they're stuck with it. Right. They pay half the cover price. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes more because uh, Marvel, in particular Marvel and DC, the more you buy, the better your rate is. Uh, right. Yeah. But uh, the idea is you pay about you pay about half and then you get half when you sell it. Right. So it's kind of weird because it's like you, you could, you know, you could like say, oh, one day POD will get there. It's just not there now when we need it now. Like, we need it there now. Like, you know, comics really could benefit from a POD model that was fucking great now. The technology's just not there. So you still do better to print your comic in bulk and then sell it to Diamond, sell it to the shops, and then the shops sell it to the customer. And that's still a better system than all the technology we have available now. Because in print-on-demand, every copy you print is essentially a new copy, so you've got to pay more per copy Whereas with the offset printing, the way they're stamped, you do it, you just can do more in volume. Yeah, once you get that machine to, to like I did my internship in the printer, I printed my first book, uh, this is not the dojo book, this is a different book I printed, and he told me I was going to only get like 500, and he told me, he said, why don't you get 1500 instead, and that's like, I can't afford it, and he was like, uh, you probably can. He said the difference, and this people I fought so many people like when I was doing my Kickstarter, they're like, "You don't need two thousand, you're being greedy." And I said, "What you don't understand is the difference between getting eight hundred books printed and getting two thousand books printed is only a couple hundred bucks. All the cost is up front just to get that shit started. Once right. you got that shit started, you can print cheap, cheap, cheap as much as you want. And that's why the print. So, that's why print cost of comics is negligible because." There, even even if you're in like the range of like thirty thousand copies, right. it's still only a couple hundred dollars. It's only a couple thousand dollars per per issue, right? And so that's the thing is we would love. I think what's funny too is I've also been trying to like sell comics digitally all my life for twenty years, and I've been watching other people do it. And it's funny, you know how the most successful web comic artists do it. They're not making it off of directly their comic. They're making it off of other shit like merch. books or yeah. merch. or And it's, it's funny. It's kind of like it's that same old thing. It's people are like, oh, why not go all digital? It's like because you would still need to buy something physical for it to be worth people's time. Right. Like if every right. comic in the world was digital, guess what? They still would fucking need you to buy a book or a T-shirt or a toy or some goddamn thing because you just buying a digital comic ain't enough. <laughs> it's not. So it sucks. It's a it's a weird situation. We got all these solutions, and yet none of them are good enough. Not really. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the real solution is we need more people buying comics. 
that is the real solution. At the end of the day, if you want to help comics, the fucking thing you can do more than anything is just try to be excited about it publicly so that people take interest in your interest because that is how it organically happens. If more people bought comics, comics would be cheaper because A, the the amount of volume they'd be selling would offset the cost, and B, advertisers would come back. Yeah. Because more eyeballs would be on the product. Plus, if there was more volume, retailers could afford to be more experimental, so people would be reading more different things, you know? So, it, it's it's tough. I think, like I said, the, ultimately, this is the shittiest thing. And like I said, I can say this because like, my fans like me, and I'm not, I don't have to worry about bending people's noses and stuff. But like a lot of people don't have the freedom to say this. Fucking the fate of comics is in the hand of comic readers. Like... <laughs> That you need people, if you want to make the next Walking Dead and have there be like six Walking Deads going at once, you know why Walking Dead was fucking successful? Because of Walking Dead fans. It wasn't anything fucking Kirkman did on his own. It wasn't anything yeah. magic what, about what is wa- What is Walking Dead? A zombie mo- a zombie show. Anyone, <laughs> they could, anyone could have made a zombie show without a license. But because right. Walking Dead was popular, that was what they went with. And yeah, the only thing creators have to do is be consistent and put something out. Yeah, that's it. That that resonates with people. But, I mean, the thing I feel like with Kirkman is that he was good at keeping it moving oh, and yeah. not dropping uh, Until the end of Invincible, then things didn't work so well. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I suppose that's that. Uh, I can't even remember <laughs> how we got into this conversation. Something about one-off comics. Well, just yeah. just basically, I was saying Captain America at the end is just a fantastic example of why one-off, like, monthlies have value. So, which tied into the beginning of our podcast where we were talking about, I just had a lot of people coming at me saying, you know what, if the direct market collapse, who cares? We'll still have bookstores. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Yeah. We will lose so much if the direct market, like, collapses. Raven, you were telling me the other day you were hoping it would collapse. No, I do hope that, like, the shit... The thing is, is the the nuance there is I want comic stores to exist. Uh, I see. You don't want Diamond to exist, or at I least not to be a monopoly. Diamond to exist. Yeah, I don't want the monopoly to exist. I don't want two companies to be the bulk of, like, the sales made. That's not good. And we're, we're living it. We're living that it's not good. So if that direct market... When I say the direct market, the bad thing is the cha- the terms are, like... People use them interchangeably. They refer to comic shops as the direct market. And I get that, but in reality, like, comic shops are comic shops. And if they had different... They used to have different... And don't forget, comic shops predate the direct market. Comic shops were a place you went for back issues. They were were a used bookstore. Right. Yeah. You know, and and some record stores are like that, right? They're like a used record store. Oh, absolutely. Used record stores are probably more prominent now than... I mean, used record stores are the ones that started the vinyl thing. Most you'd get 80% used records, and they would have 20% maybe new releases. And then the big box stores started seeing vinyl resurge, and now they're stocking it. But it was all driven by the secondhand record store with the small, like like comic shops, small mom and pop, you know, guys that are super into records and, and music and driving that. Fans. But it, it, it's very much like comics. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if comic fans want to make new comic, want to want things to be better for comics, they got to get out there. They got to be fucking excited. 
because I don't think these retailers know how to do it. I hate to say it. I love comic shops. I love comic shop owners. I They've had a lot of time to be in this trouble, and I don't think they know how to do it. And I think it's going to take excited fans getting other people excited. And before you know it, it's kind of like how there was that point in time where everybody was a Game of Thrones fan. Oh, yeah, for four seasons. And then, and then we stopped. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's like it was a TV show, but what got people into it was people talking openly about being excited about it. So, and p- people yeah, were talking talk about, about people were talking about getting those books adapted by HBO for like a decade before it happened too. It was like a dream yeah. come true when that got announced. Sure, it was like Walking Dead too, though. I mean, I've been reading the comics for ten years before yeah. everyone in my office started talking about it on TV, and it was like. You know, there's comics, and I know how this ends because I read this. And they're like, how do you know this? And it's like, because I've been reading it for 10 years before you even. <laughs> it's too underground. You probably haven't heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, we got way in the weeds. Captain America, the end. Fantastic. Absolutely. Hey. Good issue. I got a good end of the, end of the episode question. Okay. What's up? <sighs> If you guys were alive in the Captain America Holocaust, like the you know the the fucking like Red Skullocaust, like fucking skulls everywhere, would you do it with one of the Red Skull people? I'm pretty sure I would be a Red Skull person, so. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, probably. You'd hop in the stew pot. I well, I'd be part of the hive mind. So the good news is I wouldn't have to think about it. Do you think the skulls boned? I I don't think don't so. know, man. No? What about I you? They were probably too obsessed with killing Captain America. That The boning would probably come after. What about you, Craig? Dude, I don't think they did. I think they only had one one objective. No, but I'm saying would it you? It made me... Would, would I what? Would you bone a Red Skull? Um, If I didn't know any better, but I have a feeling if... As long as I put a bag over the head or something. <laughs> put a bag over I your own head. In real life... Real life, looking at that, would be a little freaky. <laughs> but I probably would, just because. Yeah. You're, you're going to get whiskey dick maybe the first few times, but eventually, after not seeing any normal humans, you're gonna. I love how it always comes down to that. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured that'd be a good the end to our the end discussion. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> You can always leave us a comment or question at savagefincast.com or at our email at savagefincast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about the issue. Leave us a comment on uh, on the email or on our um, webpage um, or on the Savage Dragon Eric Larson fan page on Facebook. But we like to hear what you guys thought about the issue or yeah. thought about our points. Absolutely. So until next time. Have a good one. Take it easy. Thanks for listening.